Robert Crash Craddock's been good enough to join us on a Sunday morning. Crash, good morning. We were saying earlier, huge run chases don't seem as daunting as they were, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But 444, it's a mountainous target, isn't it? Good morning, Crash. Yeah, good morning, Ray and Dee. Absolutely right. Like, uh, I think in 2020 cricket and even 50-over cricket, the chase is... Uh, not as intimidating as it used to be, but you're talking a, a truly world-class Australian attack. The last day of a test match, the wicket's still doing something, and you're three wickets down. Uh, I, I know Australia are about a dollar uh, thirty-five to win. I've got a much shorter than that. I, I think they will win, um, and you know they need this win, Dean. Um, it's been a great, gener- a very good generation of Australian cricketers. They've been together for a decade. This bowling attack. Stark, Cummins, Warner, and not so much Boland, but Hazelwood is waiting in the wings. But they just like that gold stud at the end of your career to define yourself. And with this test and the ashes to follow, that's the gold stud they're looking for. In 20 years' time, you look back and say, well, I suppose you remember that great couple of months we finished with in, Eng- in England. Good morning, Robert. How are you, Dean? Oh, I'm it's very, to hear very voice. well. Lovely to hear your voice. Hey, Crash, before I... On the show, well, earlier on the show, I should say, I said to Ray, Steve Smith, with his numbers, uh, he's now only behind Steve War 32 and Ricky Ponting 41 in terms of test centuries. Is he our greatest since Bradman? Oh, look, he, he will be remembered that, I, I do believe, because, I mean, have, have a look at the numbers too. I mean... I saw Steve War at a press conference last Thursday and I provocatively said to him, oh, how do you compare yourself to Steve Smith? And he goes, oh, it's better, mate. And then he just went, no way. <laughs> and as he, I mean, the numbers are there. What, did, what Steve Smith played, 97? I think he's 97. Yeah. I think um, Steve War was 160. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's astonishing. Phenomenal. He, he yeah. gobbles up everyone in terms of the ratio of centuries he's made. He's one century behind Steve War, the great Steve War, despite playing more than 60 fewer tests. I mean, that's extraordinary. So he, he, he we are pre, I mean, just little random stats. I mean, here's one for you. In his last nine innings, I think, in England, uh, his second lowest score is 80. I mean, yeah, goodness me. Yeah. I mean, it is it is amazing. Well, that was before the second innings of this test. So, um, he, yeah, he, I, I believe he will be remembered as our next greatest after Bradman. It's a bit hard to see at the moment. And it's a photo finish between him and Ponting. But uh, he's interesting, yeah. He's certainly a Ponting leading with 41 test centuries. You mentioned earlier how important this summer in England is for this generation of cricketers. And Steve Smith made a point at a press conference in the last few days saying he's so desperate to win a series in England. Of course, they drew 2-2 in 2019, retained the Ashes, but they this generation of cricketers hasn't won a series in England yet. It's a bit like Alan Border retiring. I know you know Alan Border really well. He never beat the West Indies and it still gnaws away at him to this day, doesn't it, Crash? It really does, and he came so close just before he retired in 92, 93. Mm. We always remember Craig McDermott getting out when they were one run from victory in Adelaide. It would have sealed it. Then, of course, the Windies roared back in Perth. But you're right, Ray. Uh, The the cricketer Michael Atherton, the English captain, loves quoting an army general. And there's this quote he says that 
people may debate your merits as a, as a player, good and bad. So you need definitive moments which are beyond any sort of personal rating system. Mm-hmm. And beating England in England for the first time since 2001, that was the last time Australia won there, that is a definitive thing that no one can challenge and you can hang your hat on for for life. We broke the drought. And and as I say, this generation's been good. They won the 2015 World Cup, 50 over in Australia, and they won the T20 World Cup. But test cricket-wise, India have won their last four series against Australia, home and away. And we haven't won in England since 2001. So they're the trends that matter. And if you're going to define yourself as a future great and all this as a team, this team has not been more than the sum of its parts. It's been yeah. very good, but it hasn't had that gold stud moment. Here it comes. Crash, with Baz Ball, I've said from the start, I, and I think Steve War also mentioned during the week, that you know, do they have a plan B? If Baz Ball doesn't work and our bowling attack is just too good for any sort of arrogant attack, can England find another way to win? I oh, see, this is the thing. And uh, we quizzed Steve with that at the press conference. And you obviously saw the quotes. And he couldn't wait to be asked about it, to be honest. Because you know how he loves staring the pot a bit. Mm. He sort of said, look, the jury is still out for me. There are some wickets where you just cannot play that way. And if they don't have a fallback plan, they will not win. And, and I agree with that. And here's the thing. This is the thing, Okay. With Jack Leach, their spinner out, I believe England will toss up uh, slightly greener wickets for their seamers. But if you do that, you run into trouble with Basball. Now, I get all this talk about, oh, they'll get flat wickets for Basball, flat and fast wickets, and their batsmen will go good. Yeah, but hang on, hang on. What if you get to the fifth day and you've got no spinner, which they haven't got after Jack Jack Leach? Leach. So I know behind closed doors, Ray, they are having that debate at the moment. I know they're confused as in what is their best deck? Is it a green wicket so Andrew Broad can really rough up the Aussies? Or is it a super flat wicket so their batsmen can go well? But guess what? You get caught on day five when it's crumbling and there's no one there to take advantage. It's a conundrum, yeah. Look, the Ashes is going to be just a fascinating contest because England are playing such brave cricket that's compelling to watch. But then... We saw what Travis Head can do um, in that first innings. That was a masterclass there at the Oval. He is so important to Australian cricket, particularly if Warner doesn't get going at the top of the order. Head can come in and take a game away from England very, very quickly, Crash. Yes, but I think I think Head needs Warner. I, yes, I really do. 100%, I, yeah. I just think Australia Warner needs Warner. <laughs> but, but they don't need much from Warner, Ray. I just think from Warner and Kawaja, they've just got to be a buffer so that Travis Head comes in no earlier than the 30th over because that's about the time when the Duke's ball stops swinging and it gets flat and they get vulnerable. Like, I, I, I really gave Warner tremendous plaudits for his first innings 40 when the ball was going everywhere. I mean, in that first hour and a half, that was tough. That was really tough test cricket. Sure, then the sun came out and the wicket flattened, but that's what David Warner has to be. For, for David Warner, if he averages 30 in this series, I've got a pass mark for him because... No openers have been scoring runs in England. And so if you can do, they've got to protect head. Mm. And, you know, there's some underrated players. Alex Carey, two really good innings in this test series. She's an underrated player. Just, yeah. just when he walks to the wicket, there's just an air of serenity. And he normally gets the job done. Good player. Good player, Carey. Crash off and I sit back when I'm bored and I'll get a bit of paper and a pencil and I'll 
jot down the greatest cricket team that I've seen in Australia. Mm. And my batting order's fairly stable. And I get down to the seven, I go Gilchrist, and I go Warren, and I go Lily, and then I go Pat Cummins. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, mm. I go Lily, McGrath, and I've always had that extra fast bowler vacant. There's been times when I've put Jeff Thompson in there. There's mm. been times I've put Mitchell Johnson in there. But now I just think I've got to go Pat Cummins. And I'm talking about my age bracket from about 75 onwards. But I think Pat Cummins would have to be in there in terms of greatness right now. Yeah, he, he, he would be. It, it's a really good question, actually, because you're right. You, you have to put McGrath in because he was fabulous on the subcontinent. Lily barely played on the subcontinent, but he was Lily. I mean, we all wanted to be him. He reshaped the game. And Shane Warne was so far ahead of any other spinner. You just don't have the debate. But that extra spot, look, the, the singularly best fast bowling I've ever seen by a substantial margin was when Mitchell Johnson roughed up England 10 years ago when they came here, and and they were terrified. Jonathan Trott went home in a panic. Kevin Peterson later wrote a book saying he was sitting in the Gabba dressing room. He said, I thought I'm going to get effing killed at the Gabbatoire. You know, like, (laughs) no one who's... No, if you wanted just the purity of one summer, it was Mm -hmm. Johnson. But over a 10-year period, you're right. I think the excellence of Cummins, once again, we take him a little bit for granted. But, uh, you know, j- just his ability to, to keep the pressure on all the time. The gap between his best and worst is not much at all. Yeah. I felt Australia needed a tour game before this. They just looked a little bit rusty, but they got away with it. Cummins bowled about eight no balls. He took two wickets off two no balls. He could have done with a warm-up game. They didn't have it. But here's the good news, Ray. Mm. This is their warm-up game for the Ashes. Yeah. So they'll probably win this and then they'll be good for the Ashes. Oh, I hope you're right. Hey, Crash, can I change pace a little? Because Canadian Open is on at the moment with golf and Rory McIlroy's had a terrific third round shooting a six under, moved up the leaderboard to be 12 under, just two off the pace. But earlier this week, one of the biggest sporting stories, certainly this year, if not this decade, um, erupted in America when the USPGA announced that they were joining forces with Live Golf Rory McIlroy had been the front man for the USPGA for the last 12 months. He was, he was their person who was standing solid by traditional golf. And all of a sudden, he had to front a press conference, and this is what he had to say about the merger. The future of the PGA Tour looks brighter as a, as a whole, as an entity. There, there still has to be consequences to actions. You know, the people that left the PGA Tour irreparably harmed this tour started litigation against it like we can't just welcome them back in it's hard to it's hard for me to not sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb and you know feeling like i've put myself out there and this is what happens again removing myself from the situation i see how this is better for the game of golf there's no denying that but honestly i've just resigned myself to the fact that this is you know this is what's going to happen. Like this is, it's, it's very hard to keep up with people that have more money than anyone else. And hey, hey, Crash, you had to feel for him because he was the guy who was fighting the good fight for the PGA Tour. He was fighting their PR battle, and none of the golfers knew about this merger until they they were 
read it on Twitter and things like that. What, what's your take on it? But Ray, Ray he could yeah. have gone to live. He yeah, but, chose but, not to no, for the big money. Yeah, he chose to stay with. And PGA. I admire that. Yeah. But he can't. You can't moan about blokes going for the big money. No, no, Good luck to them. no. What I'm saying is, he was left high and dry by the PGA. He was their front man. He was fighting their battle for them. He was shoved out the front and said, "You, you be our spokesperson," almost, which he did for 12 months. He's lost friendships over it. He finds out the merge is about to take place. Crash on social media. No yep. respect. Uh- no respect. No, I've got to say the singly most staggering story of the year. When my wife said the other day, she said, oh, there's a story that the uh, two tours of uh, Merge live. I said, oh, that wouldn't be right. Well, it was. I nearly fell off my chair. Look, a couple of observations. There's an old saying in life that pioneers are the ones that finish with spears in their backs. To, uh, Greg Norman, he'll be banished from the head. This is how ruthless the Saudis are. Norman, who took the fight up on behalf of Liv, say whatever you like about the morals involved, but he took the fight up. He will be banished. Just it's in Super League when they came together. The guys that started the war didn't finish it. And it's probably the same with McElroy. I admire his courage, what he's done. Mm. It would have been far easier to do what most of the Liv guys did, just hide behind the curtain, take the money, do as few press conferences as possible. And 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 whereas or, or and, and on the PGA side of things, most didn't want to talk about it. Whereas McElroy took up the yeah. ball, and, and what he said was the only point I've got with him is he said the the PGA golfers should be compensated for staying with the PGA Tour. Well, I'm saying, hang on, we thought this was a moral issue yeah. for you guys that you're against the Saudis. What? So you you need cash to be compensated for a moral issue? But just very quickly. To people out there who are saying, how did this happen? Why did they merge? Three quick points. One, the cost of legal fees was just killing the PGA Tour. Secondly, the PGA Tour was worried that so many of their sponsors had links to Saudis. It was becoming so hard to sort of navigate. And three, they always knew that the Saudis had more money than they do. And when, when, when someone tries to be a disruptor in an industry, there's two things that people fear about them. Have they got money and can they go for a long time? And the answer was yes, yes. So they jumped into bed with them. Crash, you said Rory McIlroy and Rated was brave, but I also say luck favours the brave and those were brave enough to take the money and see a vision, if that's what it was. They grabbed the money and they've come out in the end as the victors. So I like live. I always have. I always will. And to those blokes, good luck to them. They got the money and now they're back on the tour. Anyway... Yeah. Mm. Oh, the only thing I'd say is, oh, oh, when I think of the Saudis, you could say what you like about taking money from the Saudis, and people do, Newcastle United. It doesn't change the fact that three years ago they kidnapped a journo and cut him to pieces, you know, like it's sort of uh, Jamal Khashoggi in, in an embassy, planned for it, did it, and I just can't get that outside my head. So that's why I could never love them. I, I could never fall in love with the Saudis, but but I guess I know what big business is. You, you just... You just get on with life and whatever, but uh, yeah, there's a few issues there. <laughs> yeah. What about, can we draw any sort of parallels between when World Series cricket came back into the fold, when Super League came back into the fold? How do the animosity between the two groups get put aside going forward? Absolutely, great question. And, and I know guys who, like Alan Border, went back into a room and, and he got on well with the Chapel brothers and Dennis mm-hmm. Lilly because they rated him. But some of the others, like Kim Hughes, you know, who were part of the traditional establishment, who, who joined up with the Packer boys, they never got back together. They never did in any sort of sense. But, Ray, it's such a good question because it, it, Liv was a means to an end. 
it was never about the success of Live. It was about getting control of golf. Packer didn't care about World Series. He wanted control of cricket. World Series vanished in two years. He got what he wanted. He got television rights. Mm. Just like Liv, he had the money to keep going and he, had, he, he could have kept going. And that's what worried traditional cricket and that's what worried the PGA Tour. We thought, these guys can just go on forever. They're going to claw our eyes out. So uh, you, you, it's a very good comparison you've made, Ray. Now, Crash, tell me the truth. Just how cocky are you up there going into Origin 2 after winning in Adelaide? <laughs> I tell you why I'm not confident, because history says that one in five teams that win the first game win the second game. It's a staggeringly chastening statistic. So, uh, look, and, and it always worries me, Dino, as you know this, when everything points to Queensland, because that's when they're at their worst. <laughs> you know, if, if Queensland had had four injuries, got toweled up by 30 points in the first game, I would have almost been more confident because they'd have gone into that grubby place that Queenslanders know so well, that that against the wall, that sort of poise, our whole dignity's resting on this. <laughs> I, I, I never like it when Queensland are favourites. I, I tell you how strong Queensland are, though, this year, Crash, is that Kalen Ponga, who was unbelievable last night, might not find his way into your 17. That's staggering. Yeah, it is. And when people say, oh, what about you, Queensland is dumping the loyalty card? It partially comes because this year, loyalty's great, but when you've got options, sometimes you've got to take them. Mm. You might just say, oh, it would have been good to keep Dan Gagai, but hang on, you've got the hammer playing in the centres. And it was the correct call. But look, there's a lot of interest up here in Adam Reynolds. Will he be chosen for the New South Wales team? And Dean Ritchie, I loved your interview with him the other day. Because to me, that showed me why I would pick him. And it's simply this. It's simply this reason. Not only is he playing well, but he really, really, really wants to play. And that's something we often get wrong about players. Some players, when they're heading into a side decider, they're almost relieved when they're not picked. They don't want that pressure. There, There is an occasional player like that. That's not Adam Reynolds. He wants to play at Suncorp. I saw it in your story, Dean. He almost was waiting for you to ring him, I think, to say that. Crash, I'm not suggesting Adam Reynolds is long-term. He's 33 in July. But for this game, Mm -hmm. we're 1-0 down. We go to the furnace up there. The pressure's excruciating. He's a game manager. He's calm. He's collected. Mm -hmm. He's played Origin. He's played in grand finals. He knows Suncorp. Even if it's just a one-off game. I know that might sound a bit silly, Mm. but for this game, it's horses for courses. Adam Reynolds would be my man. Yep, yep. It's a good point. I I wonder whether they'll they'll go that way. I I really do, because he's just... In the two years he spent in Brisbane, there's one thing that struck me about him, apart from the fact he's so relaxed and cool. I've never seen a player in any sport that stands out as a future coach more than Adam Reynolds. He's just got that look of a guy who will coach first grade in, in you know, six years' time and be one of those young sort of Phil Gould-style Canterbury-Bankstown coaches of the 1980s. Like, gee, he's got a head in his shoulders and he's so much a part of the Broncos' resurgence, honestly. And you know what proved it? Uh, he missed a couple of games about a month ago. They lost them mm-hmm. both. And then he came back, but a lot of other players were missing, and they won. Yeah. 
because all they needed was Reynolds. It was it was quite interesting. Great man manager. Great great manager of a football game, Dino. Mm. I'll tell you what, Crash, I spoke to him after the interview, just off the record, I don't think I'm talking out of school. He, he absolutely loves Brisbane. He said, I've got mm. no yeah. desire to come back. I thought that Reynolds would go to Brisbane, play his tenure up there, then move straight back into the South Sydney area where he grew up. He said, I'm loving life up here. I love where I live. I'm near Acreage. He said, I've got no plans to come back to Sydney. So Mm. I think you might might have him for life up there, mate. Well, he made one really good call. He was looking – I live in the north of Brisbane and he was looking around my area. I stood with a real estate agent once and he he was going around. That would be the rich area, Crash, I assume. No, it's it's a working man's (laughs) area. Right, okay. Fair enough. By by heading out of town to Bunya, he bought a – his house in Bunya was the same size as his entire property in Sydney. And his four kids just run right. You know, they you know, have cubby houses and all this. And, and this was the early success of the Dolphins too. Uh, and I know the depths caught up with them. But all those guys came to Redcliffe and, and uh, were buying houses for about a million dollars, which had 600 square, 600 square metres and four bedrooms. Their wives were happy. Jeremy Marshall King, he said, I mean, his wife looked on the internet and said, wow, look what you can buy for this. And so, happy wife, happy kids, happy life. Exactly, yeah. Hey, Crash, could talk to you all day about cricket, rugby league, any golf, anything to do with sport. It's, it's always a great honour to have you on your show, but a bit remiss of me not to broach a, a delicate subject with you, and that was the passing of our colleague, Wayne Smith, during the week. I know you know and worked alongside Wayne for many, many years. I had the pleasure of working very closely with him at the 2000 Olympics when we were covering the swimming. I learnt then and there what a consummate professional he was as a journalist and his passing at age 69 during the week uh, just a shattering blow for everyone who's worked with with Wayne Smith crash it was just a relentless professional filed a column for the Sydney Morning Herald went upstairs was preparing for a podcast and just passed away he was as good a journo as I've ever worked with and, and, and he had vision. Mm. Uh, on, a, on a sleepy Wednesday afternoon seven years ago, he said, I might do a column. I reckon Brisbane could do with the Olympics. I really do. No, Not one other person was looking in that direction. John Coates, not him, no one. And he rang up the mayor who was having a meeting with the council of mayors. Then he rang up each individual mayor and said, let's get this going. And they did. He is the man singly responsible. But since he passed away, I'll just say two things about him. I've had about 10 journos say to me, when I was young, I went to a rugby game. I didn't know what I was doing. He sort of said, you're okay, mate, which is a beautiful tribute. And a lot of swimmers, Susan O'Neill and Kieran Perkins, when they were kids, he sort of looked after them. And most great swimming riders are great people because they they realise that young kids aren't used to the scrutiny. And and, and Susie O'Neill said, he saved me so many times. So Vale Wayne Smith, he's a great journalist, great old school journalist who just... On the last day of his career, when he was age 66, I walked into the Australian and saw him, and he was typing with the vigour like a pianist, like he was still so dedicated to his craft. Yeah, no, remarkable man. It reminds me a bit of Chippy Flingos because I always, yeah. when I think yeah. of Chippy, I always think of a man who sadly passed away way too young as well, but had the same passion but he's, you know, right up to the end that he had when he first started as a journo. And if you can retain that in you, that, that comes across in, in your approach to your career. Hey, Crash, as always, a great honour to have you on the show. Really appreciate it. Let's hope we can get those six wickets tonight and set it up for an Ashes winning summer in England. 
Oh, can't wait, right? <laughs> nice to talk to you guys. Good All on the you. best. Thanks, Thanks so much. It's Robert Crash Craddock, probably Australia's best sporting journalist. And you hear it whenever you talk to him, Dino, his passion for sport and particularly cricket and origin footy because he's a Queenslander.